Hey, teachers, happy Friday. It's the thing that we do on Fridays. Me, Brother Lawson, and the birthday boy, Brother Eric Wing. How's, how's it going, Brother Wing? We're celebrating your birthday week all week. So are you pretty excited about your birthday? Yeah, I'm excited because I know a lot of my teachers have been saving up money. and Oh, yeah. They've yeah, probably you- combined to give me a really awesome gift. <laughs> yeah, and then they're going to send in their receipts to get it reimbursed. <laughs> that's an appropriate use of that yeah exactly well Class you supplies have been... and birthdays for the court or presents for the coordinator yeah that's you've been uh you know you and i have how long have we how long have we known each other? When, when did we first meet how long what ago was, was that 2002 2002 master's program Jeez, how old were we back then 2002 we're just babies. Oh, I was, yeah, I was, I would think I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> Teachers, I can't get him to crack. I can't, I'm trying to get him to, I've sworn, I've, I've sworn to secrecy, brother wings, real age. Uh, and he won't tell us his age. So he's either just not like confident about or comfortable with his age, or he's one of the three Nephites and he really can't remember. Or so, I maybe don't know. Like, did they have birth certificates back when I was born? I don't even. <laughs> you, are you a pitcher from the Dominican Republic? Is that what you're trying to? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, um, teachers, we're glad you joined us this week. Uh, for some of you, uh, you have uh, Monday off. For others of you, you don't have Monday off. So it's kind of a, an interesting week. You'll have to uh, adjust. We're going to follow the, the pacing guide uh, from Monday through Friday. But again, as always, you can adjust the pacing guide. You can adjust the 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 content of what you study. Uh, you can adjust the, the verses, all those things. But we're in Matthew 6 and 7 this week. We also have a doctrinal mastery review. Um, and, and so we've got some great things this week. We continue... The Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we'll be in that sermon again next week as well uh, with some stuff in Luke. So, uh, Brother Wing, remind us, give us some, um, give us some background on the Sermon on the Mount. Where where are we at on this? Yeah, so this is a sermon where Jesus is teaching the people how to be like him. And so he's just going through all of those. Yeah, on a mountain. and. so he's just gone through all those examples of here's the higher law. Here's a better way to do things, you know, and here's the, all these distinctions. And so, and then he says the be therefore perfect, you know, like complete this destiny. Here's your focus, but then it doesn't end there. It just yeah. keeps going that he's going to give further examples and illustrations on, on how he operates, you know, which I, this is the thing that I would want to emphasize with the students is to say, don't you wish in every case that you knew in your life with all the specific details and circumstances of your life that you knew exactly what Jesus would do in that very situation, like what he would say, how he would handle it, all, you know, all of those things. Don't, don't you wish you could have that? And, and you could admit as a teacher, you know, as you're talking to the students, like, yeah, that that's hard. That's hard to know. And we try to follow the spirit. We try to do it, but we can't, do we always exactly even know anyway? We mm-hmm. don't typically, but 
we're going to, we're going to be able to more easily figure that out or better. We're to do it better when we just study his words and know what he's talking about. And this sermon in particular is just so helpful in doing that. So that might be a way to set up. That's a good way. Or reset up the studies. Like let's, let's study chapter six verses, you know, one through 12 and just see, you know, or before the one through eight would be a good starter and just be like, go one through eight. And just what do we learn about Jesus and how he would, what kind of decisions he would make and how he would do things in a modern world based on those, those eight verses. But you're going to see terms and references that are not modern. So here's, here's a few helps. And you might want to talk about what the word alms mean, you know, or um, other definitions might be useful to him. I like how you set, I like how you set that up, uh, brother wing, the, as help students to visualize Jesus acting in these ways. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, that show, I actually haven't watched a lot. I think I've watched a couple episodes of that, uh, the chosen, but I can see why that speaks to a lot of people because they can, it helps them picture in their mind, Jesus acting in the ways that he's, that he's teaching. One of the things we talk about a lot in seminary, and we probably should talk about even more is, is taking effective righteous action. I think during these during the Sermon on the Mount, this is a good time, teachers, to practice helping your students take effective righteous action. I mean, there's, I mean, this is this is kind of softball stuff a little bit here, you know, slow pitch where um, your students can hear Jesus talk in very specific ways. Like, for example, in in chapter six, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven, but do your alms in secret. And so you can talk about alms being these acts of service, and then uh, your students can formulate like, all right, so Jesus has given me this instruction. What specific righteous action, intentional righteous action could I engage in today to follow this teaching of Jesus Christ? What act of service can I perform without a person, without the person ever finding out ever, ever, right? And then there's a whole bunch all through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, your students could walk out of your class with a list of not like, not things like uh, serve people secretly, but um, I'm going to iron my little brother's shirt for church on Sunday and just hang it back up in his closet uh, or something like that without him knowing but specific righteous actions, a list of them that they could engage in. Yeah, that's really good. And by the way, the little, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but at the end of chapter seven, this, this blends with that, you know, taking effective righteous action, the wise man built his house upon a rock. Both, both groups hear what the Lord is saying, but some choose to do something about it. A lot of people come to seminary. Who's going to do something about what they've learned here. That's the difference. That's building your house on a firm foundation yeah. to actually take action on it. So you could refer to that. You know, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take effective righteous action. I am going to next week, because uh, it's your birthday week, I am going to do one act of service for every year you've been alive. Wow. How I many? I mean, think about that. How many acts of service would that be? Yeah. I don't even know if you could do that many in one week <laughs> <A lot. laughs> oh man all right. 
<laughs> good effort. Good effort. <laughs> All right. That's good. Um, there's a, should we get to the prayer part in Matthew six? Yeah. All right. So um, let me just preface this part by reminding you teachers, we've talked before about um, president Nelson asking specifically uh, for, for, seminary teachers, along with priesthood leaders, to help uh, to help our students learn the language of prayer and uh, to deepen the deepen their relationship with Father in heaven through prayer. And so this fits right in in Matthew chapter six, we have Jesus teaching people how to pray, which thing they I mean, these are just people learning probably for the first time, how to how to pray. And so this is a, a great opportunity for you to have your students learn directly from Jesus uh, how to pray. And so how should we pray for the wing? Yeah, I like this as an example. You might want to point out because, you know, he says to not use vain repetitions. And then he gives an example of prayer that then maybe has been used as a vain repetition throughout. There's a There's a difference between repetition and vain repetition right right yeah definitely um and so i like but it is this is a great opportunity to talk to them about prayer i like the quote from president irene back in november 2000 or october 2000 <clears throat> general conference but he said prayer is a matter of the heart that statement alone is a great line to provide to this the students and they it talks about going, you know, praying in secret that he seeth in secret. Like this is between you and the Lord and it's real communication between real people. Um, and so if that's the case, then our prayer is going to naturally flow out of that relationship. The Bible dictionary talks about this, but it is a matter of the heart. President Irene goes on to say, I had been taught far more than the rules of prayer. I had learned from my parents and from the savior's teachings that we must address our heavenly father in the reverent language of prayer. And then he uses this example, the way that this prayer starts in verse nine, he's, the Lord says, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, you know, it makes me think of prayer when, if I see somebody, I typically don't just say, let's get to work, you know, do this, do that. You know, it seems kind of rude, you know, like I would, I would even say, how are you doing? Even if I don't care how they're doing. Right. I would, that's true. <laughs> I would never insincerely say, how are you doing? I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, Cause you Lord. always ask me how I'm doing. <laughs> and so, and I deeply care. And so <laughs> you would, you know, there's, there's kind of like social rules almost that you would follow to talk to people, address them, be friendly, you know, but I sometimes wonder, at least for myself, if I make the mistake of, Dear Heavenly Father, and I just kind of go straight into what I'm thinking about, what I'm concerned about, and I don't appropriately, reverently address him, you know, and I found that when I do slow down, talk to him, recognize that I'm talking to a God, mm -hmm. you know, and, and reporting in, I might say things in the, in the flavor of hallowed be thy name. I don't necessarily use those words, but I might use other words to just talk about him and our relationship and other things that would set the right tone for then talking about maybe what is on my mind or on my heart 
yeah. at that point. But there's reverent language of prayer doesn't necessarily only mean that we're using these and thous, but that we're we're uh, respectfully um, honoring this conversation that we're having with a real person. I like that. The um, I think in verse nine, when the when the Savior says, "After this manner." And there's a great footnote there that says it is in this way that you ought to pray. He's not, he's not telling us this is what you say. Like you say everything that I say, not you just say that in in your prayer, but it's like what you're saying, brother wing, that this is a, um, this is a heartfelt prayer. The language is important, but, um, but it's not the, and the rules are important or our, shouldn't be the focus of our prayer, but our heart speaking to our Father in heaven in sincere ways uh, is is the key. I think it's interesting some of the things that Jesus gives them examples of. So, uh, thy kingdom come, uh, thy will be done. Like, you know, I want to do what my Father in heaven has asked me to do. I want to help gather Israel. That was that was number one on Jesus's mind, uh, helping gather the is gather Israel and act in ways that are consistent with the way that our father in heaven would act. Um, and then going down and thinking about each of those, uh, each of the things that he prays for, I think is, uh, is important. And there's a good JST that you don't want to miss miss out on in verse 14, suffer us not to be led into temptation, but deliver us, um, from evil or, yeah, that was that in verse that's verse 13, right? Yeah, but there's some good JSTs in there as well. Anything else that we want to say about prayer? I think you can have a pretty good discussion on what Jesus, uh, if if they scripture feast on what Jesus talks about in, in prayer, I think that that will be a that'll be a good discussion you'll have and a good opportunity for your students to take effective righteous actions in the way they pray when the way they pray. Um, I might, if I can remember, uh, I'm going to post also a a link to a 2017 face to face with Elder uh, Elder Holland and President Irene, where they're in Palmyra, and there's about a five or six minute clip where they address this specifically, um, where they talk about prayer. I think in one of the most powerful ways I've ever heard apostles talk about prayer and and how to pray, and so. Um, if you're listening to this and I forget to post this, just type out an angry message on Facebook and I'll be sure to, uh, to put that link on there. Yeah, that's good. I, I think that it's helpful to students to kind of balance this idea that can they ask for things to heavenly father in prayer? And of course the answer is yes. I mean, the Lord just said it in verse seven. Yeah. Right. But Maybe there's um, help to understand that, or sorry, sorry, chapter seven, verse seven, I'm skipping right. ahead, but in, in chapter seven, he's going to tell us to ask and you shall receive, knock and right. shall be opened unto you. There's a lot to that than just verbalizing something, of course, but here in chapter six, um, when we're talking about prayer and the, the purpose of prayer, it's not so much, and I heard Elder Bednar say this recently at a Q&A, he said, we're not so much about telling God what we want. We're there to find out what he wants. Right. You know, and, and, um, and so then it's like, so then, so then can we ask for things? Right. And, and the answer is yes, but we're going to ask for the things that are 
that are in his will. Like we're going to have the mind of Christ. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. So we're going to listen to the Holy Ghost about what things we want to ask for. The scriptures tell us to not ask amiss. You know, we're not going to ask for things that aren't going to be good for us. But in the but sometimes you're like, well, what's good for me and what's not good for me, right? right. Well, that's probably, I think, where the Lord's going to be basically saying to us, let's talk about that. And here's now the purpose of prayer. Like, I'm confused about what to ask for. I'm, I don't know what's best for me. Great. That is a wonderful thing to discuss with the Lord in prayer. And that's the the harmony of, of these two principles of asking you shall receive. And we're really there to find out what the Lord wants, not so much to declare what we want, but we're not going to probably get there without first having a conversation to talk about what we want, but we're still open to the idea that the, the actual purpose of this is to unite with God, not just to, to say what we want. And that idea, I think the doctrinal mastery passage, which is John 17, three, mm-hmm. that says the purpose of our life, which is also the purpose of prayer, right? You know, this is life eternal or this is the purpose of prayer that ye, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Like this is the point of prayer. And so I think in, for all of us, we probably need these reminders that the Lord's prayer gives us here in chapter six. And as we talk about prayer and the purpose of prayer, um, it can improve our prayers to, to uh, make it a matter of the heart, like president Irene says, uh, but to, um, unite with God and and listen to the Holy Ghost, even about the words that we use in prayer. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's safe to assume that your students want to have good experiences with prayer. Maybe they've gotten into a habit of you know just blowing quickly through a prayer because they haven't had a good experience yet with prayer. Um, and so this is a great opportunity for them to take effective at righteous action and experiment or practice. Uh, praying differently than they had, just like uh, Jesus encouraged his disciples between verses 16 and 18 to change the way, and practically speaking, to change the way they would fast, right? So fasting is another another topic that your students, I think, are very invested in. It's something that they might not totally understand or have had a great experience with. It's interesting that Jesus just talks about practical ways the practical uh, approach that we should take when we fast. He doesn't indicate um, why we're fasting. He doesn't indicate, he doesn't say, here's a specific blessing that comes from fasting other than that our father, which seeth in secret will reward us openly, whatever that means. Right. Which sounds pretty great. Right. Um, But just having your students consider the Savior's instructions between, I think they could do some, uh, have a great scripture feast for a few minutes on 16 through 18. What does the Savior instruct them about fasting and what difference would it make if we followed his His uh, instructions here? How would that change the day for us when we fast? Um to not disfigure, I was the I was the best at disfiguring my face when I was a kid fast fasting. I was the best. I would, I I could have won an Emmy or an Oscar or any of the Golden Globe Award for the 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 pain and the anguish that I could uh, bring forth. So be, when I was fasting, 
And I got the reward for that kind of fast is what verse 16 says, right? But but what kind of reward would we get? I mean, why does the Savior say, hey, when you fast, anoint thine head and wash thy face and do your best not to appear unto men that you're fasting? What difference is that going to make when we fast? And why is he going to reward us if we if we approach fasting in that way? So I think that's that might be a good opportunity for your students. Yeah, it's really cool to get the principle of verses 1 through 18, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you're teaching this here and then you leave some time there at the end, it's just going to say, so what's the what's the basic point here overall that the Lord is making? And it, they'll probably be able to say something like we should be doing it for the right reasons or we should it should be sincere, however they say it. But then you could then point out how else can we use this principle, the thing that the Lord is teaching us in other areas of our life, you know, so if you're at church and it's boring, you know, how does this principle apply there, you mm-hmm. know, and then they might be able to, you know, connect some dots here and say, yeah, there's, why are we here at church? It's for the Lord. It's to worship him. And so maybe I don't have any friends here. Or maybe I think this is boring, but I'm here for the Lord, you know, and why am I doing anything else in the church, whether it's ministering or scripture study, um, if we kind of maintain this focus and do things in secret, we're not concerned about uh, what other people necessarily think when we're doing the right thing. Um, and uh, we'll c- kind of go forward that way, keep the, keep the right perspective. If we do it for reward, it's not going to last. Like... Because we're going to, because then, then people are going to change and what they're rewarding us is going to change. And then, so we're going to be driven by the world at that point. But if you right. do think for the right reasons, then, then you can't be influenced by the world. It's interesting because I think that the word reward is used seven or eight times in those first 18 verses. And it's used in a, I mean, Jesus doesn't identify a specific reward in either case. He'll say the word reward, like if you do it this way or the, the old way, you'll have your reward. If you do it this way, you'll have your reward. And so it's all about, there's going to be, uh, there's always going to be a, a consequence for your action. Consequence sometimes gets labeled as a, as a bad word, like, Oh, a consequence, but, but consequence is also a good thing. So, I think what to your point, Brother Wing, like um, Jesus is identifying your actions and your heart is going to lead to an outcome. So what outcome would you like to choose? Would you like to choose eternal life or captivity? And uh, and he's encouraging them to to use their agency to act in uh, righteous ways. And that will be a blessing to them. So, okay. Uh, the next day we got 19 through 34. There's some great, uh, there's some great scriptures in 19 through, uh, 34. Uh, how are we going to approach this one? Good JSTs in here too, by the way. Oh yeah. So these are great verses again, like, you know, I don't know if you want to preface this or kind of use it at the end of the lesson, but you want to kind of say, what's the basic point here that he's making, because this is a really applicable uh, principles that he's providing here about not serving two masters, giving our whole heart, um, being all in with the Lord uh, to do this. But um, this is the what the thing I like most about these initial verses, and maybe the way to set this up is to ask the students, "What do you think would happen if?" and then present 
some scenario where they were consistently focused on the Lord. Like, mm-hmm. so a, a good example is what would happen if you studied the scriptures by yourself for 30 minutes every day and you, and you wrote about what you learned and you just, you really just consistently did that, you know, for a month, what would happen, you know, in your life? Uh, do you think? And then what if, and then you could go with the kind of crazy example of what if you just cut yourself off from all spiritual anything dogs every day yeah you just well and you just said no scripture study no seminary no anything that was good you just cut that out of your life what would happen then like what would be the the -hmm. consequences and i think that's um and let's let's see what the lord has to say about this so then let's read verses 19 to 25 and just kind of see what he's got to say and let's let's kind of connect this with our actions and behavior today because it really is true that if someone were to they they rather quickly change when their heart turns to the Lord and they get really focused on him and they let scripture study and church attendance be done for the right reasons and they're listening to the spirit, like they can rapidly get out of significant trouble and completely change their demeanor even and even their physical appearance can change as they just get that kind of focused. I've seen it happen. And unfortunately, I've seen the opposite happen when someone just something happens or somebody just decides that they're out and they cut themselves off from scripture and light. Yeah. It's a it, it's a rap, It can be a rapid downfall um, at that point. And so we need to be constantly nourished. Give us this day our daily bread. We need to be constantly nourished. And so I think that's what's conveyed here by the Lord when he says, if thy nigh be single to the glory of God, thy whole body shall be filled with light. Like you're going to see you lock in with the light. Great things can happen really fast, but you lock in with evil and your eyes single to darkness and bad, you can go down super fast. And I bet the students have, um, we don't want to focus on the bad examples, Mm -hmm. but they, they can probably share some pretty good examples of when they get focused and how good things happen then. Yeah. Or at least they've seen other people get focused. Like they may have had an older brother or sister go on a mission that they maybe hated their guts when they, when they went on a mission, but then had their, their brother or sister had a remarkable change coming to them because they spent so much time focused on the savior. Um, I think another interesting way that maybe you could approach feasting in this, in this section is by starting in verse 33. Uh, and there's a JST uh, for that one. I'll read the JST. Uh, it says, wherefore, seek not the things of this world, but seek ye first to build up the kingdom of God and establish his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. It might be great to say, to start off with that verse and then say, students, would you go find like, so if, if we seek the kingdom of, to build up the kingdom of God and establish his righteousness, what are those things that will be added to us? And then go back up to verse 19 and just have them read and identify what are the things that are going to be added to you if you're focused on the gathering of Israel, part of the Lord's battalion, and you're seeking to keep commandments. Um, that might be a, a good way to approach that. Mm-hmm. All right. I love verse 34. I think the students, I've had a lot of students as I've taught seminary come to this verse and they're like, what does that even mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. And it's it's just written in a different way. But we might, this is my bit. You 
You tell me if you like. This I'll tell you if you're right or not. Yeah, yeah. You tell me if I'm right or not. But my interpretation of the message of verse 34 is you can't figure everything out. Like, and so you got enough to worry about right now, just in striving to be nourished spiritually and exercise faith right now and listen to the Holy Ghost. You've got challenges right now. So, so uh, listen to the Lord right now. And you don't know what's down the road. You don't know what's going to be in the future. You do your best to kind of plan ahead and prepare. You have insurance, all that kind of good stuff. Like you do <laughs> temporarily to work ahead, but you can't know everything that's going on. So sufficient is the day unto the evil thereof. You have enough to worry about right here, yeah. right now. And don't try to predict or get ahead of things because um, you can't figure that out anyway. Yeah. That's my long interpretation. That's a good one. I like that. That's good. All right. Next day, we have five verses. Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5. But these are these, these verses... Um, you know, if there's anything that gets people riled up today, it's judgmental people, right? It's like, that seems like that's, that's a label that nobody wants to have. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be labeled as a judger, someone who's uh, judgmental and your students and you teachers also, you might be surprised to, to, to learn what the savior has taught about judging. We have verse one, of chapter seven, judge not that ye be not judged. We're like, yeah, see, not supposed to judge. But if we, if we thank heavens for Joseph Smith, I mean, can you imagine not judging? Can you imagine Brother Wayne getting babysitters? And um, I, I don't know, you don't, you, you call a babysitting service. Is there such thing as babysitting service? And, um, and you, you have them, like some guy shows up at your house to, to babysit your kids. And he's got, you know, he's, he's, smoking marijuana he's got a spider web tattoo on his face and um and he's just and he's got an ankle bracelet on and, and uh can you imagine like well i'm not gonna judge i'm not gonna judge have fun with my kids there you go right no there's uh there's a difference between being judgmental and judging right and joseph smith uh helps us understand that uh, verse a little bit better when he says, judge not unrighteously that you be not judged, but judge righteous judgment. In fact, it's a commandment. Joseph Smith uh, indicates that the Savior commanded us that we need to judge. Uh, and so I think pointing out, first of all, making sure your students are aware of the JSTs here is going to be helpful. What else is helpful here? Yeah, I like that explanation. It's basically we want to figure out a way to be to exercise good judgment without being unfair and mean mm -hmm. to other people, but we're still going to not give up good judgment. We, basically, can we figure out a way to be righteous without being self-righteous? Right. And that's kind of the, the point um, with all of this. So yeah, we definitely need to judge. If we don't learn to judge in a righteous way, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and again, when we go down and the Savior talks about casting beams and moats, out of eyes, you know, a beam, obviously a beam is a beam. Can you imagine walking around with a, a beam, a big piece of lumber in your eye and telling other people, Hey, you got a little speck of a little speck in your eye. Um, there's a big JST of, of what, how many verses is the JST on that? Um, it goes four through eight. 
So starting in verse three, there's a big uh, GST in the uh, in the back that you want to be familiar with, and and let your students read read through that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot in the teacher manual about this. This is definitely something that, like you said, um, would be a hot topic for students to talk about um, with judgment and judgmental and feeling judged or doing the judging. You know, so this is definitely something that the manual discusses in detail. And if you feel like this is what they want to talk about and you want to talk about it more, the manual has a lot of good suggestions there. It may be that you feel like that's sufficient and you feel like you could go on and not just contain the lesson only to the first five verses. Right. So if you want to go on, then you can go on. And there's definitely a lot of good stuff in the rest of the chapter that you might want to talk about with your students, including a couple of other really good Joseph Smith translation sections that it would be worth discussing there and about gifts. And then, as I said before, about, oh, the good, the judging mm-hmm. uh, false prophets by their fruit. Yeah. That's, I mean, talk about learning how to judge. Right. Exercising righteous judgment. He, the savior really helps us with that content there verses 15 through 20 really helpful um, to do that. And then the part I mentioned before about wise man built his house upon a rock. It's a great place to then end this sermon on the Mount discussion with some action items, you know, and take effective rights. So what's the part that seems like you want to do something about, and how could you start to do something about that? What's a small next step for you to live the Sermon on the Mount a little bit more um, in your life right. and help the students identify that, probably write it down, give them some suggestions if needed about how to take action on that outside of class, and um, that that's, that's how to be wise and, and stable in life. Yeah, I think, you know, and back to the judgment part, I think, I think it's good to help your students understand the difference between being judgmental and, and judging kind of like what you're saying with being righteous and self-righteous. I think you could go back to that example of the babysitter that I was using, uh, judging someone's, judging someone's experience, judging even based on like, do I, do I want this guy smoking um, marijuana in my house? No, I don't. And so I'm making a judgment here, but it would be judgmental to say, I should, this guy is never going to be interested in hearing the gospel. He's probably not going to go to the social kingdom. So I'm just going to not worry about it. That would be judgmental. That'd be unrighteous judgment uh, that we'd be, that we'd be making. And so I think helping your under, uh, helping your students understand that observing is, uh, is righteous judgment. Like I can observe, Oh, this person is not this person. Um, kicks dogs on the weekends. This is what I'm observing. It's not judgmental to say that person kicks dogs on the weekends. It would be judgmental to say, because that person kicks dogs, they will never be forgiven of sin ever. And so uh, we don't have the the right to do that. Anything else from Matthew six or seven you want to say, Brother Wing? Mm -hmm. Okay. We got doctoral mastery review, assess your learning. How do we do those? I would combine these um, 
even if you're teaching all five days, like you do actually have class on Monday, I would still combine the doctrinal mastery view with assess your learning, which would then free up a day to talk more about the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Um, so that's how I would that's how I would do that. Good plan. I, I do like the doctrinal mastery view to give them a chance to look over passages and maybe start to memorize um, and get working on that. That's kind of the focus of that one, particularly. The assess your learning also has some interesting ideas that that you you might feel like your students can use that would be helpful to them to kind of review what they've been getting so far and how they've been using it. It'd be a great connection to the wise man built his house upon a rock part as well to kind of think so. Let's go back. Let's think about this. What are we going to do with it in our lives? So, but it's probably as you look over that content, it could be one lesson and right. then you have more in Matthew 7. Excellent. Great job this week, Brother Wing. What a great way to go into your, your birthday week. You know, um, have you ever been to Sharon, Vermont? Yeah. What's Sharon, Vermont famous for? It's the birthplace of Joseph Smith. How would you even know that Sharon, Vermont, like if you, if you're just driving through Sharon, Vermont, how would you know? Is there anything there that would indicate to you that Joseph Smith was, was born here? There's a monument there. Uh, the monument? How tall is that monument? 38 and a half feet tall. And yeah, nice job. Why is it 38 and a half feet tall? Because that's how long Joseph Smith lived. His life. Let's see where you're going with this. They have if, not made a monument for me. <laughs> if we made a monument to you, and like if you died today and we made a monument to you, how big would we would we make that monument? It sounds a little inappropriate to say this, but it would it would be taller than Joseph Smith. <laughs> definitely this monument should never be built. <laughs> Out of respect for Joseph Smith. Okay. All right. Fine. I'm just thinking of things I can give you for your birthday. All right. Um, teachers, we hope you enjoyed listening or at least tolerated listening uh, to this uh, episode or podcast. We uh, program, I think, is what you call it sometimes. Um, if there's anything we can do to help you out or to make your lives better, uh, excluding calling your stake president and having him release you, we'd love to help. We'd love to help any way we can because we love your guts, everybody. Stay right. Here.